Hi there. I'm Wendy Hobbs with Knowledge Counts, a podcast of the Canadian Institute of Quantity Surveyors. Today, we're talking with Carlo Velchik, an instructor from the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology, about tall wood buildings and other wood-related construction. Carlo started by telling us about how he got involved with wood construction. I'm actually a graduate of SAIT. I took the Civil Engineering Technology program here back in the late 70s. And then I got a job with a company called TrustJoist. I was working at a consulting firm. I was asked to do a test program on this manufactured piece of wood and basically had a two by four top and bottom with uh, an OSB web in the middle. It looked like a little wooden I-beam. I've never seen one before. And I thought, this is kind of neat. Did a bunch of testing for it. And at the time, I didn't realize it, but I was actually testing it for Jaeger. But I did this testing, and I said, oh, this is really cool. I want to get into this industry. This is leading edge stuff. So by fluke, I found an ad. They were looking for an engineer, and the company was called Trust Joist. I thought, okay, it's wood. Maybe it's headed down the right road, maybe not, but I'm going to check into it. I applied for the job and ended up having to go to Claire's home for the interview. Where is Claire's home? I didn't know. I had to go down and drive around to find it. I knew where Claire's home was, but I didn't know where the plant was. Ended up getting the job, and it ended up being one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life. They actually invented, Trust Joyce actually invented the iJoist. They invented a whole bunch of different products. They invented an open web truss that had two by four cords top and bottom with metal webs. Looked like an open web steel joist, except that it had wood top and bottom flanges, cords. But they did invent the iJoist. They were the guys that came up with the idea of building an iJoist that looked like a steel beam and then using it in residential construction. They also invented the process of making LVL. And the, the list goes on and on. But it was, it was a really exciting time in the engineered wood products industry because we were just breaking all kinds of new ground. At the time when I first joined the company, only custom, big custom homes were really getting into iJoists. And every house had to be sold. Every owner had to be sold on the idea. But it did catch on. I was the engineer for the plant. That was my initial job. I was a plant engineer. And then as time went by, I became uh, the regional engineer for Canada, for Alberta, all the way through to Newfoundland. They had one in, we had one engineer in BC, so I didn't have to worry about BC, but I was licensed from coast to coast at one point in time. And we kept decentralizing our engineering departments. We ended up moving to Edmonton, setting up the engineering department up there. And after a few years, we moved back to the plant. So it was, it was an interesting time. It was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun those days. It was growing. Our company sales were one, I think, 
I think in Canada we were uh, $100,000 in sales the first year I was there. After a number of years, our goal was $10 million in Canada. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was a million dollars of sales North America. We broke that benchmark. And then the company set a goal for, well, the goal for Canada was $10 million in sales. We wanted to become a Fortune 500 company, and we did it. It was really amazing. The growth was fun. I think the, the, the point for me that was interesting is I, I stepped out of engineering for a while. I was actually in Toronto at the time running the engineering department down there, and I had set that up. An opportunity came along to come back to Calgary as a, sales, as a salesman, and I applied for it, and they asked me to come back. And um, for the next six years, I was in sales. I had a great time. But it's not really, it wasn't really a sales position. It was, I was a technical representative. So really, I was out there promoting the product with the builders, working with the framers, teaching people how to build with engineered wood products. But the big breakthrough for me was with Cardell. I remember sitting in Ryan Oakey's office, and I had been talking with them quite a bit for quite a long time about converting their floor systems to an iJoyce floor system. There was a lot of reluctance because it costs more money to the tune of seven, to $800, maybe $1,000 a house. But Ryan was a visionary, I think. He knew that this was a good idea. So I remember sitting in his office, and I still remember to this day, Keith uh, Erickson was there with me, and we were both sitting there. Uh, sorry, Lloyd Erickson was there with me. And Ryan said to me, I think this is his way of saying, let's do it. Are you going to be able to supply us enough product for all our houses? And I'm like, yeah, of course. And that was the beginning. From that point on, it just snowballed. Everybody, every builder in the city started converting. So it was a good time. We asked what changes have been made that make tall wood buildings an exciting new type of construction. The key to tall wood buildings is cross-laminated timber. Technology has, has made it possible for us to build tall buildings. We couldn't do it with conventional framing. We're probably limited to about six floors with conventional framing. And then after that, the loads get too heavy. But the way cross-laminated timber works, basically gluing a lot of small pieces together to create very large panels that will act as floors and wall systems. The system will go up very similar to a steel building or a concrete building. Some of the hybrids that we're working with right now actually have a concrete core with wood floors and wood walls as it goes up. And I believe UBC has a building that's 18 floors now that's a wood building, but I believe it's a concrete core. The, the key to um, making this all wood is to get that core to work as, as we need that shear core for that tall building to work properly. So that might be the, the next, I mean, it can be done. It has been designed. There is tall buildings coming up all over the world right now. Uh, there is several that have been built in Europe. Pretty sure there's been one built in Australia. It's new technology. 
And I'm kind of excited about it. And in some ways, <laughs> I'm kind of sad I stepped out of the industry when I did because just as I moved away from, let's call it the wood industry, into academia, all of a sudden cross-laminated timbers became the thing. This is the new excitement in the wood industry. I think there's a, there's a lot to be done yet, but it's very exciting. There's been an increase in interest for tall wood buildings over the last five years. We asked Carlo how that interest has come about. So the interest in tall wood buildings is, is uh, all over. I mean, everybody's talking about it. Everybody's thinking about it. We need to change the building codes, first of all to be able to do tall wood buildings. The wood, uh, the fire code has to be addressed because everybody's always worried about fire and wood because apparently wood burns. Of course it burns. Wood burns, steel melts. Every product has a problem, but that's fine. The technology is there to build tall wood buildings and we need to get more information out there for more people to understand how to do it. There is a gentleman by the name of Michael Green. He loves wood. He loves designing in wood. He's an architect from Vancouver. He also has an office in New York. And one of his comments that I, I, I've always loved, and I'm deviating a little bit here, but he makes a comment uh, in his TED Talks presentation. He says, have you ever seen somebody walk up to a concrete column and hug it? Well, I've seen people walk up to wood columns and hug them, but I've never seen concrete columns hugged. He says, wood is a great building product. We need to learn more about tall wood buildings. We need to learn more about what the limitations are, where we still need to do research. We need to know more about how to design them. But we need that, that energy. We need to get industry interested in looking into it and kind of getting away from the norm. There's lots of buildings that we could do in wood that are done in steel. There's no reason. One of the technologies used in tall wood construction is eye joists. When it was a new technology, it was met with some resistance and presented new challenges. Carlo addressed some of these issues. When we first introduced the iJoyce to the home building industry, and I'm, now I'm talking builders that build track homes, not custom homes. So these guys are building anywhere from 200 to 1,000 homes a year. When I say it's going to cost you seven to $800 more per house, they'll, they'll you got to be kidding me. Why would I change? Well, it took me a while to prove it, and I knew it would it would work, but I needed a chance to prove it. With an iJoyce floor system, for example, you can build an iJoyce floor system 10% quicker than you can a 2x10 floor system. I remember the builders coming back to me saying, look, my framers want more money because it's taking them too long. They're losing time and money putting, building these iJoyce floor systems. And I said, no, you can't. They have to go through the learning curve. But they will build an iJoyce floor system faster once they get used to it than a 2x10 floor system. So you have to stick to your guts. And they did. Six months later, one of the framers, I'm not going to use his name, he was one of the guys that was always in my face and mad about the whole thing. But he, I said, trust me on this. Please, just tr give it a good try. Six months later, he came to me and says, don't tell anybody, but I can build an iJoyce floor system 10% faster than 2x10s. I said, I know. That's what I was trying to tell you. After that, it was never a discussion. So the framers are happy. Now, where's the advantage for the builders? A two-story house built of two by tens, two by fours, will shrink one inch 
in the first 12 months that it's completed, just from the wood drying out. Most 2x10s show up on the job site as a 9.5, and they end up as 9.25 once they've reached an equilibrium moisture content. Where does that inch show up? It shows up in your drywall. It took me a while, but the builders told me they would budget seven to $800 per house to fix drywall cracks and nail pops, well, drywall damage in general. So now with an iJoyce floor system, there's no more drywall problems. In fact, the iJoyce floor system with an LVL beam or Paralam beam or timber strand beam, when you use engineer wood products as a system, the service guys don't have to come in and adjust your teleposts anymore. In fact, they kept doing it with an iJoyce floor system and the floor started developing humps. And I, it took me a while to figure out what was going on and I said, why? would you go in and adjust a telepost? Well, we always had to do that with two by tens. I know, but this isn't a two by 10 floor. So don't do that anymore. So less service calls, happier customers. Oh, this is the best part about drywall. If you buy a brand new house and you have drywall problems, yes, the service guys come in and fix it and they tape it and sand it and do everything nice, but they won't paint it because if they paint that one spot, it flashes and you'll see it as soon as you walk into the room. So the builder's deal was, we'll fix the wall for you, but you, Mr. Homeowner, you'll have to paint the wall yourself, okay? Well, customers aren't all that happy about that either. So with the elimination of drywall cracks and pops and so on, everybody's happier. The builders have happier customers. The customers are happier because there's no more drywall problems. And of course, we guaranteed the floor would never squeak. That was another, that was a whole other story. I spent half of my life fixing squeaks in floors. And it was never because, if you read the fine print on the guarantee, it says these floors will never squeak due to a manufacturing issue, okay? Paraphrasing. Well, what would happen for, there's a squeak in my floor. What's wrong, what's going on here? Well, there's nothing wrong with the joist. Yeah, yeah, but my, my floor's squeaking. And of course, it was always related back to the installation, so a whole bunch of training had to be done over the years to make sure that people were installing hangers properly and we came up with a system where if you put a dab of PL400 into the hanger of the joist because you're mixing wood and steel and sometimes they aren't exactly the same size you put that little dab of glue in there and it acts like a gasket and to make sure everything stays tight and just a proper installation of hangers and voila we have no more squeaks and floors but that took a period of time too. So basically we have a happy homeowner. Now leading up to the four-story buildings, iJoyce were a great idea for these condominium projects because you could get an iJoyce 60 feet long if you wanted. You could get them as long as you want. Well, as long as they can be transported. Let's put it that way. So you get into these multifamily projects or multi-unit projects, condominiums, four-story walk-ups, they were, they were great in an iJoyce because they could go up so fast. And in most cases already designed. Well, no, in fact, they were all designed ahead of time. So we knew exactly which joist had to go where. Everything's pre-cut. It goes together like a big Lego. Walls can be all pre-manufactured. So the whole structure goes up very fast. The, there was no reason we couldn't go six floors just wasn't allowed in the code. It just took the industry a lot of effort in convincing the code writers, municipalities, and so on, that yeah, we can go six floors. It will work. Structurally speaking, the wood can handle the loads, no problem. And so now we do have approval for six floors. We've solved a lot of uh, the various issues that um, 
need to be addressed when you get to that height, but really not a problem. There was also some hesitancy from tradespeople about eye joists. With the advent of eye joists came a whole host of new problems. Everybody knew how to build with a 2x10. Framers knew how to build with a 2x10. Now we had to train everybody how to build with eye joists. They're different, a little bit of a different animal, if you will. The actual framing is fairly straightforward, putting it all together, but the advantage of using an eye joist is that you can actually drill holes in an eye joist for your ducting and your wiring and your plumbing, and you can hide all of your services within the floor system. It eliminates bulkheads. It just makes it look nicer when it's all finished. The problem is holes. They have to be put in the right spot. And when they're not put in the right spot, you actually damage the integrity, the strength of the joist. The joist will fail prematurely if the hole is in the wrong area. So there is, of course, hole charts, installation guidelines, and all kinds of information that's out there to make sure that holes are drilled in the right spot, to make sure the joists are installed properly, and so on. Problem is, to find the installation guide, and if you do have it, the other problem is to read it which sometimes doesn't happen. So on a, on a daily basis, not weekly, daily basis, the suppliers of the iJoyce will get calls from framers and home builders. They have a problem with an iJoyce because there's a hole in the wrong spot. They need to get it fixed, which is fine. We can fix that. We can't fix flanges when they get cut. Top and bottom flanges, if you cut a flange, it's almost impossible to fix. Holes, we can fix. But wouldn't it be better if we didn't have to fix them at all? A hole put in the wrong spot causes a lot of delays in construction. It costs money. It takes just a lot of effort to get it back to where it should be. So we are going to do a test program here at SAIT with a group of students. And we're going to demonstrate what happens to an eye joist when you put the hole in the wrong spot versus putting the hole in the correct spot. We're going to videotape the test program so that the tape can be used to train framers, plumbers, electricians, sheet metal guys of the correct placement of a hole. Nobody wants to read the installation guide. Well, maybe they do, maybe they don't, maybe they don't understand it. But we're going to demonstrate, I think it's the, the idea that a picture's worth a thousand words. If I can show you what happens it'll probably have more of an impact on you than if you just read it somewhere. We'll put this together, this video together professionally, and then get it out to all the builders and to the sheet metal guys and the plumbers. And most importantly, we're going to use it right here at SAIT to train our plumbers and our sheet metal guys. And I asked the instructors in the sheet metal program, I haven't talked to the plumbers yet, but I asked the sheet metal guys, do you think this would be of value to you? And they go, yeah, absolutely. We need something like that. And it, we're not talking a big deal. We're talking a five, 10 minute video. But it will have, I think, I think a lot of good will come from it in the long run. This advancement in construction has allowed companies to build six story wood buildings where previously they were limited to four. Will two stories make an appreciable difference for these companies? If you build four, two more is, is no problem. I mean, you've still got the same footprint. Your added cost to the construction of that building is minimal compared to the overall cost. When you compare the cost of a four-story building versus a six-story building, there isn't a big difference, 
because we're only talking adding two floors to it. It's like it's like building a two-story house. A bungalow is much more expensive to build than a two-story house is because you've already got the foundation. You already have a footprint. Now you're just adding another floor. So the, the important part of the structure is already there. You add two more floors to the building, you can still sell the units all for the same amount of money or in fact, you can probably decrease the cost per unit and be more competitive in the market. So we're getting more, not for less, but we are getting more. Well, we are getting more for less because we're getting more units and it's not costing us that much more in the end. And the thing about wood construction is if you're doing, if you're building like, like a condominium complex, townhouses, whatever. Wood is very fast. You can pre-assemble pre all the walls in a plant. You can put up a building in a fraction of the time that it would take to do it in concrete or steel. So there's, you know, in construction, time is money. And if you can get it up fast, and I don't, I don't mean sacrificing quality either. You put up a good building in a good period of time quickly, well, it'll start generating revenue a lot sooner. Wood construction is less expensive than concrete and steel. I believe that it's, well, it's well understood, certainly in our industry. And I think that it's probably easier, maybe even more effective when it comes to um, energy savings, creating that, I don't know, I I'm, could be totally wrong here, but somehow I get the feeling that you can build a very tight building envelope out of wood as opposed to, I suppose I can still do it commercially, but somehow I always get the feeling that wood buildings are warmer. I don't know why. Carlo also talked to us about the environmental advantages of tall wood buildings. There is that. There is the greenhouse gas emissions. And what is it? One cubic meter of wood sequesters one ton of CO2. I think that's the number. It's, it's a big number. But as opposed to building a wood out of concrete and steel, the manufacture of those products produces, oh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I'm thinking something like 5% of greenhouse gases are generated by the manufacture of concrete and cement. And I think another 3 or 4% for the manufacture of steel. Those numbers are probably a little out of whack. I'm not on top of my greenhouse gases right now. But I know that the manufacture of concrete and steel does create a lot of greenhouse gases, whereas when we sequester those greenhouse gases in wood, we actually end up with a, a negative value. So I think there's a lot of advantages to building in wood, not to mention the fact that it's renewable. With ongoing concerns about over-harvesting, is there a worry that tall wood could be seen as non-sustainable? I think there's enough wood grown every 20 minutes in North America to build uh, an 18-story wood building or something like that. It's a huge number. And we always worry about, well, if we cut down all these trees, what are we going to do? But we actually have more trees growing in the forest today than we did in 1950. Back in the early days of the 50s and 40s and so on, yeah, they went in and they cut down the trees, but they never replanted, which today it's a big deal. I mean, there's students out there every summer planting thousands and thousands of 
saplings. So we do have a lot of trees growing right now. Granted, they're young, but we're also using that wood fiber so much better in engineered wood products. When you look at how we, when you look at how you manufacture a two by ten or a two by four versus an engineered wood product. You take, for example, the manufacture of Paralam. 100% of the tree is used. The bark, the tree is debarked, obviously. The bark is used to heat the plant, to heat the ovens. The log is then peeled. So we end up using, especially with Paralam, when you start to peel a log, you get all what we call fishtails. And the best wood on a tree is right underneath the bark. That's their strongest wood. So when you're making an LVL, you can't use that wood because it needs full sheets of veneer, whereas Paralam, which by the way is a Canadian invention, the veneers get clipped into strands and then it gets, uh, they get put into the Paralam process and then you come out with a billet that's 11 inches wide, 20 inches deep. It goes through a microwave oven, it's very cool. And the microwave oven is only about 20 feet long. We asked Carlo about some of the misconceptions about tall wood construction people talk about recycled wood, but that's not the right terminology. With Paralam and Microlam, or LVL, the technology is such that we're using more of the tree. We're not wasting hardly any of it at all. But if we take another step into a product called Timber Strand, which is actually a similar product to Paralam, except in this case we're using a different species of tree. And we don't use long strands, we use very large chips of wood. Timber Strand is made of uh, poplar and aspen trees, which were considered for a long time just uh, a weed tree. They would be cut down for firewood. The nice thing about poplar and aspen is that they mature in 20 years. In fact, that after if you go through the life cycle of a forest, the aspen after 20 years will actually start to die off and the evergreens will start to take over. So what we've got, we've got a huge plant in Kenora, Ontario that makes timber strand and they basically harvest around the plant. They have an area that they harvest and they'll rotate around that plant every 20 years. So they basically have an unlimited supply of wood fiber. We can make timber strand forever. We're making a structural product that can be used in construction. In fact, it can be used in cross-laminated timbers because the timber strand panel is already 10 feet wide and how, how thick would you like it? because I believe you can make it about three and a half inches thick as well. But the beauty of timber strand is that it can be cut into different sizes. It can be used as studs. And the really nice thing about it is it's always straight. It won't warp and twist like a two by four or two by six. People have built entire houses out of timber strand. Okay, it's a little bit more money, but the results are amazing. You have walls that are dead straight. You have tall walls that, how long of a two by four would you like? 25 feet, 26, 30, you name it. We can get it for you. Great application for when we go into these six-story condominiums and we put in elevators. One of the biggest complaints that the elevator installers have is with wood construction is the wood twists and then their elevators don't operate properly. They kind of get stuck a little bit. They have very tight tolerances, I imagine. Okay, so build your elevator core out of timber strand. It will never change shape. We can solve almost any problem that's out there with wood. We just give us the time. We'll figure it out. We've, we're taking a weed tree and turn it into a structural product. We're taking large Douglas firs and using the entire tree. We're not wasting anything. 
We're using some of the best wood that's on that tree. We're not cutting it into square. We're not taking a round log and trying to cut it into square pieces or rectangular pieces. There's just too much waste. Even with the technology that we have today, there is still a lot of waste. Not to mention all the sawdust and everything else that comes off. By peeling a log, you can make all kinds of fantastic products out of it. LVL, Paralab. Thank you to Carlo for joining us to talk about tall wood buildings and the technology used to build them. For Knowledge Counts, I'm Wendy Hobbs.